hey, First Church, so glad you guys are here. I'm excited to be here. I hope you are as well. And we are one church that meets in more than one location. This morning we have family meeting out in Stone Canyon, so as others who will join us later online. So if you would put your hands together, welcome them into our time of study here today. Well, when Alice and I first got engaged, we decided to save up some money because we wanted a really nice honeymoon. And we had a long engagement. It was a couple years. I wouldn't recommend doing that. We needed a shorter engagement, but still, that's what we did. But it gave us time to save up money to have a nice vacation. And what we wanted was one of those all-inclusive vacation experiences, you know, like to a Sandals Resort or cruise or something like that, where you pay one fee up front and then everything is taken care of. Your meals, your food, your drinks, your entertainment, your activities, your excursions, whatever. It's all taken care of. And you don't have to clean up after yourself or wait on yourself. It's all part of that upfront fee. So we did. We saved up some money, and we were able to go on one of those all-inclusive vacation experiences. And let me just tell you, it was awesome. Not just because it was our honeymoon. Your honeymoon's supposed to be awesome. But it was also awesome because we were treated like royalty the entire time we were there. And let me give you an example. There was one day... We decided to go and spend a few hours on the beach. And we went out to this beach area, and we laid in a hammock for like three hours. Now, that may be TMI, too much information, but I don't care. We were married. It was fine. So we went out, and we laid in this hammock, and it was a beautiful, sunny day. The wind was blowing. You could smell the ocean air and all that kind of stuff, hear all the sounds of the ocean, the waves. And as we were laying in this hammock, just enjoying ourselves, not doing anything but relaxing, Every now and then, this guy would walk up to us. Now, our hammock didn't look exactly like this one right here. I've got a hammock on stage to demonstrate what one looks like, in case you didn't know. This is more of a uh, camping hammock. We had a beach hammock. It was tied between two palm trees. It was made of net. You know, it was a little bit, uh, I don't know, it had a different look than this. But still, it was a hammock. And so we would lay in it, and the people from the resort we were staying with would walk up, and they would have a towel like this over their arm, and sometimes they would be carrying a notepad, sometimes a tray, and they would come up to us and they would say, can we help you? Do you need anything? Can we assist you with anything? And it was kind of cool because if we wanted a bottle of water, they would bring it to us. If we wanted some food or a snack, they would bring it to us. Again, all-inclusive, right? If we wanted to schedule an activity, an excursion for later, they would set that up for us. At one point, they even offered, they said, if you guys fall asleep, we'd be happy to come back and wake you up as your alarm. And I thought, we're okay. But still, that's what they did. And they would walk up, they would ask over and over again, do you need anything with this towel draped over their arm? And it was just great. Like I said, we were treated like royalty. And when I think back on that moment, it reminds me that that's the type of life that a lot of people want. A lot of people shoot for, they strive for the hammock-type life. They want a life where they're waited on, where someone comes and takes care of them, where someone meets their needs, and they don't have to wait on anybody else, and they especially don't have to wait on themselves. For a lot of people, this hammock represents the life. A life where you're waited on, a life where you're served, a life where all of your needs are taken care of. Yet what's interesting is that as followers of Jesus, we have a leader that teaches us something very different. We have a leader that teaches us that what most people consider to be the life really isn't the life. In fact, the life, the life that we're longing for, the life that we all really want deep down in our souls, it's kind of upside down from what everyone else wants. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of God, in God's eyes, whoever wants to live a full, satisfied life, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, speaking of, him, of himself here, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't come to the earth for us to wait on him. Jesus didn't come to the earth for us to meet all of his needs. Yes, he came to reign as king, but he was a very different kind of king than what we often have in, have in our minds. Jesus didn't come for us to wait on him, meet his needs. Jesus came instead to meet our greatest need. Jesus came to serve us. He did not come to be served, but to serve, and ultimately to give his life as a ransom for us who didn't deserve it, who didn't deserve his self-sacrificial love. And then Jesus teaches us that if we want to be great in God's eyes, if we want to be great in his kingdom, then we have to be willing to do the same. We need to be willing to follow his example. And what's his example? Jesus wasn't a taker, but a giver. And he gave everything he had to rescue a world in need. And as Christians, we are followers of the greatest servant of all. He didn't chase after titles. He didn't care about climbing the world's social ladder. He didn't rule from a palace. He ruled from the cross. And remarkably, he calls you and me to do the same. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, he's writing to a bunch of Christians who are struggling to carry out the mission that God has given them. And listen to what he says. He reminds them God is faithful to do what he says. In other words, God is faithful to keep his promise. His mission will be carried out on the earth. God is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you, the church, followers of Jesus, he's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you catch what Paul is saying here? He's saying God's mission to rescue the world is not Jesus's alone. God's mission to rescue the world is also for us to carry out. For we are partners with Jesus in carrying out God's mission to save the world. This word partner is used over and over again in Scripture, and it's a powerful word. Partnership that's used here, this word that's used here is the word koinonia, and it literally means a shared participation. Koinonia is where we get our English word fellowship from. It's the idea of doing life together, sharing life with someone else. So when the Bible says that we partner with Jesus to carry out God's mission, what it's saying is we do life with him, his way. He's our model. He's our example. We live out his way of life, and when we do, we change the world. See, that's why over a year ago, we changed our mission statement here at First Church to make it more clear. Not that our old mission statement was bad, but we want to be clear about who we are as the church. And you've probably heard our mission statement before. We've got t-shirts with it on, and it's posted on billboards and all over our walls. And we love our mission statement here because we believe in it. And if you haven't heard it yet, this is it. It's love Jesus, love light Jesus. It's simple, but it's also profound. And the reason why we love this mission statement is because... It represents two different things. First of all, it represents the two greatest commandments that have ever been given. Jesus says that the two greatest commands in Scripture are to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So it 
It represents the two greatest commandments, but it also summarizes something else. It summarizes our mission as the church. Because here's the thing, the more we pursue Jesus, the more we grow to love Jesus, the more we fall in love with him, the more we pursue Jesus, the more we live like him. In other words, the more we reflect his character, the more we act like him, think like him, the more we love like him. And that's the whole point of being part of the church. That's the whole point of following Jesus is to become more and more like him. And I think this is the last point that Jesus wants to make to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he's going to make this point in a very powerful way in John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me the 13th chapter of John. That's where we're going to be camped out as we study today. And we're going to look at this final moment that Jesus has with his disciples just a few hours before He's arrested, and eventually he will go to the cross. So like I said, Jesus is just a few hours away from being falsely accused and arrested, and his time with his disciples are short. And on this night, it's the Passover evening, meaning it's the night that the Jewish people celebrate the Passover feast. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're in the city of Jerusalem. That's not where they're from. So Jesus arranges for them to basically rent an upstairs room of of a house for them to celebrate the Passover meal. And so they go into this room that Jesus is renting. He doesn't own it. And the meal is already set up for them. The table is set. The food's there. They've got candles lit. Everything is ready to go for them to celebrate the Passover meal. But before they can eat, they have to do something. It was customary in this world, in this day and age, that before you would start your meal, everyone had to have their feet washed. And there's a reason for that. There's a practical reason for that. The primary mode of transportation during this day was walking. And so you walked on dirt and clay and dusty roads, so your feet would get pretty nasty. Most people walked barefoot, by the way, especially if you were poor, and Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head, so I'm sure he walked around barefoot. But not only that, when you would sit at a table, you didn't actually sit in a chair like we do. You would lay down. You would recline at the table. So just imagine this. You would lay down with your feet up against somebody else, basically. So it'd be gross if you had nasty, dirty feet, especially because not only did people walk along these roads, animals did too. And there were no road road crews to come along and clean up after these animals. So your feet would get kind of dirty. And it was proper before you would eat a meal, you would have your feet washed. Now, here's the thing. It was the responsibility of the person of the lowest status in the room to wash everybody else's feet. Typically, this was done by a slave in the household or a servant. If there wasn't a slave or a servant, then a child would do it. The person of lowest status would wash everyone else's feet. But remember, they're in a rented room. It's just the 12 disciples and Jesus. That's it. There's not a slave there. There's not a servant there. There's not a child there. It's just them. So one of them is going to have to do it. The meal's ready. They're all ready to eat, but nobody's eating yet because their feet haven't been washed. Now, what you also need to know is previously during the day, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. When Jesus established his kingdom, who was going to be his right-hand man? Who was going to be second in command? Who was going to be the greatest among their inner circle there? They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. So now, after arguing about it all day long, they come into the upper room ready to eat the Passover. Somebody has to wash everyone else's feet, and none of them want to do it. They're all looking at one another. They're probably poking on You do it. You know, you go do it. Maybe they even start to argue, and I can just picture Jesus just kind of leaning back, 
watching all this play out, seeing if anybody else is going to do it. And when no one else does, let's read and see what happens. John chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I'm sure that this utterly shocked the disciples because even though none of them wanted to admit that they were the least in the room, all of them wanted to pretend like they were the greatest, they knew that they weren't greater than Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. And so when Jesus is the one who gets up from his place, grabs the towel, and starts to wash all of the disciples' feet, they kind of freak out a little bit, like, no, 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 this isn't right. And that's why when Jesus comes to Peter, Peter says, no, Lord, I'm not going to let you wash my feet, because listen, I might be greater than these other guys, I might be greater than Thomas over there, or Judas, or Andrew, or some of them, but I know I'm not greater than you, there's no way you should wash my feet, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, hush, Peter. And let me do this. And the Son of God gets down and puts his fingers between the dirty toes of those disciples and washes their feet. And then when he finishes, he gives us a teaching, he gives us the application, and it's found on down in our passage in verse 14. Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That's upside down, man. But here's what it means. Jesus isn't calling us to the hammock life. Jesus is calling us to the towel life. Jesus isn't calling us to the hammock life. Jesus is calling us to the towel life. And the towel life is how we will change the world. That's why we're here. That's why the church exists. Because we live in a culture that is giving, getting further and further away from God. And we know this. I mean, just what we've heard in the past 24 hours on the news, what happened in Texas, what happened in Ohio, our prayers are with all those families. It's tragic. We live in a world that is very evil that desperately needs the hope, the love, the joy that is found in a relationship with Jesus. And people will only find true meaning and purpose in Him. And the church is here to introduce the world to Him because the world's not going to know who He is if we don't do our job. And in order for us to do our job, we've got to pick up a towel and go out and serve people and love people as Jesus has loved us. But the problem is, I've been part of a lot of different churches who don't want to do that, who don't want to pick up a towel. They're content living the hammock life. They're content just letting other people serve them. And I don't want to criticize any other churches or how some Christians talk, but you've probably 
heard this before, maybe not directly, maybe it's been more indirect, maybe you have to read between the lines, but you hear statements sometimes that make people think, hey, I'm happy settling for the hammock life. And they say it when they make statements like, you know, I want a church that serves me. I want a church that makes me feel comfortable. I want a church that is there for me. I want to go to a church that, you know, sings my type of music. I want to go to a church that has my type of donuts. And if they don't have my donuts at the cafe, I'm going to complain about it. I want to go to a church that serves the type of coffee that I like to drink, not too bitter, not too strong. I want to go to a church that has a phenomenal children's ministry where my kids are grandkids, they're entertained, and they have fun, and they learn, and they're kept safe, but don't ask me to volunteer with it. I want to go to a church where the thermostat is just perfect. Not too hot, but not too cold either. I want to go to a church where it's not too loud, but not too soft. I want to go to a church where the lighting is just right. And there's always a parking spot for me in the parking lot. I want to go to a church where there's no traffic to get out. And the preacher never preaches over because we want to beat all the other churches to the restaurants. I want to go to a church that makes me happy. I want to go to the first church of the hammock. And yet, Jesus says that if you want to be great, you got to be a servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And yet Jesus says, if you want to be great... Just as I, your Lord, have picked up a towel and washed your feet, you need to pick up a towel and wash everyone else's feet. It's as if we've got this following Jesus thing, this church thing all backwards. It's as if we've got it upside down. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. We all go through seasons in life when we need to be ministered to. We all go through seasons in life when we need healing, when we need support, when we need encouragement, when we we need to be challenged and accountability, when we need the church to surround us. Don't misunderstand me. If you're going through one of those seasons right now, we as a church are here for you, and we will surround you, and we will support you, and we will do whatever we can to help you. We all go through those seasons, but if you never leave the hammock and pick up a towel, then you're missing what following Jesus is all about. The church is supposed to be made up of of a people who are not inwardly focused, but who are hourly focused, who never miss an opportunity to impact the community around us for the sake of Jesus. And if our lives aren't defined by picking up the towel, then we're not really following Jesus. And sadly, I'm afraid that describes way too many Christians, way too many churches in the culture that we live in today. 
Let me just see by show of hands, I'm asking the men in the room, because you guys are the guys who are going to be passionate about this, I'm sure. How many of you guys have a piece of furniture in your home, a bed, a couch, something, that your wife has put a bunch of throw pillows on? Anybody have a piece of furniture that has a bunch of throw pillows? Okay, we do. We have like three dozen throw pillows in our bed. I don't know. I haven't counted them, but there's a bunch of them. And they serve no purpose whatsoever. They're just there to look decorative. I'm hearing people say, preach and amen. You guys are with me, all right? All right, finally, I said something you guys agree with. Awesome. Okay, throw pillows. They're a waste. They're just for decoration. But my wife, she loves them, so we have them. She wins. But one day I came home from uh, preaching on a Sunday, and my, a lot of times my family, they come to our first service, and so I had to stay later, and I came home, and they were already napping, and I was tired, so I crawled onto our bed to take a nap, and I didn't want to unmake the bed, so I laid on some of those throw pillows. Allison came in and shook me and woke me up, and she's like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to lay on these. These are just for decoration. I'm like, then why do we have them? I don't understand. In fact, I told her just the other day, I said, when it's time for us to get a new couch, this is the couch we're going to get. If throw pillows are so important, we're just going to get a couch made of them, okay? But you know, when I think about throw pillows, I'm afraid that's what the church is in so many communities today. Just decoration. I mean, it's there, and people meet, looks good. And as people come together to meet with the church, they sing about Jesus and they talk about Jesus and they even say things like, we need to go out and love people and serve people. They say those things. But no one ever picks up the towel. And that's why here at First Church, we're changing, or maybe you might say we're clarifying some of our language when it comes to church membership. Because a lot of people, when they hear the word membership, what they think of is joining a club You know, you pay some dues and you do whatever it takes to become part of the club and then you get a membership card or you get your name on a membership list and then you get to reap all the benefits of being part of that club. That's what a lot of people think of when they hear the word membership and sadly, that's what a lot of people think of when they hear the term church membership. They think, okay, you do whatever it takes to become a church member, whatever steps you have to go through, you do those things and then you occasionally put a few dollars in the offering plate, those are your membership dues, right, or fees, you put a few dollars in the offering plate and then you get to continue to reap the benefits of being part of the church. That's how a lot of people see membership in the local church and yet, The Bible teaches something that is very foreign to that, very different from that. In fact, the word that is used over and over again to describe the church is a word that I just mentioned a second ago. It's the word partnership. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 4. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, being a member of the local church isn't about joining a club. It's not about getting your name on some list of members so that one day when you die, the local paper can say he or she was a member of First Church. It's about partnering with God and His people to make a difference in this world, to impact this world for the sake of Christ to go out and rescue those who are dying in their sin and who are destined to hell to make eternal differences in the lives of people. It's not about joining a club. It's not about getting your name on a list. 
It's not about being part of a clique, but it's about picking up a towel. See, I have here a stack of papers. And this stack of papers represents what a list of our church membership would look like. If we printed off the name and contact information of every person who is an official member of First Church, this is what the stack would look like. And for a lot of people, this is what becoming part of the church is all about, being an official member where your name is part of this stack. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having your name in this stack. My name's in here. There's nothing wrong with that. But guys, this isn't the end game. This isn't what it's all about. This isn't why Jesus died. This is. We're not about getting our names on a list. We're about picking up a towel and loving like Jesus. And our world needs us because our world is getting further and further away from God. When you join First Church, you're not joining a club. You're partnering with a community that exists to love the 918 and to change it for the sake of the gospel. But you're not just partnering with a community that exists here now. You are partnering with a movement that has existed for the past hundred years in Northeast Oklahoma. This church was formed, established over a hundred years ago, and during that time period, hundreds of thousands of lives, not just in Oklahoma, but across the world, have been impacted because of the existence of First Church. But you're not only partnering with a movement that goes back a hundred years, you're partnering with a movement that goes back 2,000 years. When Jesus resurrected, when Jesus defeated death, when the church began on the day of Pentecost, and since that time for 2,000 years, billions and billions of people have received hope in Christ because they have come to know Him as Lord. And for 2,000 years, Satan has been trying to stop the church, hinder the church, hold the church back, keep us back, and yet after 2,000 years the church still exists you know why because for 2,000 years Christians has been have been picking up a towel and every time we pick up a towel Satan runs we are part of something that is bigger than ourselves and God has empowered us and enabled us to change the very world that we live in but in order for that to happen we got to stop living the hammock life we got to live the towel life. And this fall, we're going to give our church a special opportunity to do just that. And I'm excited about what we're going to be doing here this fall. Because I think we're going to, God's giving us an opportunity to make an impact like maybe we never have before. See, according to recent studies, the percentage of people who feel indifferent about the church has grown from 30% in the 1990s to 43% in the most recent studies of the population today. Now, what that means is these aren't people who hate the church or who are anti-church. These are just people who just think the church doesn't matter, that the church is insignificant, that the church is irrelevant, that it's just not a big deal. Hey, the church can exist if it wants to, but we don't care. We have no association with it. We don't, we don't really think it matters to our lives. The number of people who think we're just indifferent to the church that is growing all the time. We are now on the second to fifth generation who has no church contact whatsoever, who did not grow up in church, who doesn't have any memory of the church whatsoever. Our church is becoming more and more unchurched. 
And in such a culture, we need to do things different. You know, years ago, churches could put a big banner out that says, Revival, next two weeks. And people would just show up because they had this common foundation. And everybody kind of knew that they needed Christ, they needed the church. And so if you've been away from the church for a while, you would come back because you knew you needed to be revived. People don't know they need to be revived because they don't know Jesus. They don't know what the church is supposed to be all about. And you can't be called back to something that you never knew And so the day and age when people are just going to wake up one morning and say, hey, I need to get back in church, we've passed that day. It's not going to happen. And so what we have to do is we have to introduce people to something that they're largely unfamiliar with. Now, that's different from anything we've had to deal with as the church over the past 50, 60 years or so. But that's okay because it's not the first time the church has ever dealt with that problem. Just think about being part of the first church in the first century. The world had no idea who Jesus was. The world had no idea what the church was. And they had to introduce the world to Jesus and his mission. And we've got to do the same. And you know what? Jesus tells us how to do it. In Luke 14, verse 13, listen to Jesus' words. He says, when you give a party, invite the poor people, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, some translations say when you throw a banquet, but we don't really throw a lot of banquets these days. That word can just mean party or social gathering. When you throw a party, invite those who are on the outside to come to it. Invite those who have never been invited to come to it. See, I believe that the church should be a celebration. I believe it's a celebration that began at the resurrection of Jesus. I believe it's a celebration, it's a party that God is throwing where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of this earth. We should be the most joy-filled people on the face of the planet. And it doesn't mean that we go around with fake smiles on our faces and that we never have bad days. We do. But in the midst of our bad days, we have this inner joy, this inner peace, this inner satisfaction that the world can't comprehend because we know Jesus and we're living in relationship with him. We should be the most joyful people on the face of the planet. And Jesus says, throw parties. Have parties and invite those on the outside who don't know him and don't know us to come and be part of it and let them see what you're living for. Let them see who you are and who I am through you. And so, what I want to do as a church, what we want to do as a church, is we want to invite everyone we know to the party that God is throwing that is the resurrection of Jesus. And so this fall, we're going to do something fun. We're going to have our fall series, which begins on August the 25th. And typically in the past, we have our fall series, and we have our kickoff for groups and all that good stuff. And that's fine. We're going to do that as well. But we're going to do something in addition to that. We're going to go through a teaching series called You're Invited. And we're going to challenge our entire church to invite anyone they can to come and experience who Jesus is. And I'm going to preach messages where we talk about who Jesus is and why he's worth following and the joy that you can have by being part of his church and living out his mission and his purpose for life. It's going to be a fun series as we go through your inviting. But during each, uh, uh, during each Sunday during the series or on each Sunday during the series, we're going to have something a little extra because we want to have special invite opportunities for you to invite people to come. And so every single Sunday, we're going to do something a little extra, a little different, with our big blowout happening the last week in this series. So since we're going to have this party theme, we're going to throw a party here every week. Stick with me, okay? We're going to throw a party here. And on August the 25th, we're going to have a tailgate day. We're going to have a football theme. 
And when you pull up to the parking lot, there just may be trucks that are parked there with passing out popcorn and bottles of water with TVs in the back. There might be. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's going to be a football-themed day, and we're going to challenge you to wear your favorite team colors. If you have a favorite team, wear that football jersey. It's going to be a fun day. And I'm going to preach a sermon called After Further Review. We're going to talk about what your life should look like after you review it through the lens of Jesus. And so it's going to be a powerful series with a football theme. The beginning of football season, we're going to have a tailgate party. And we want you to invite your friends to come and be part of that. On September the 1st, we're going to have a Labor Day cookout. According to all the studies that are out there, they say that church attendance drops between 20 and 30% during the Labor Day holiday. We're going to attack that. We're not going to let our attendance drop. Now, you may already have plans to go to the lake. I'm not telling you to cancel those plans. God might be telling you to cancel them, but I'm not, okay? We're going to have a cookout on Labor Day, and we want you to invite your friends. And even if the person sitting beside you still goes to the lake, you invite a friend to make up for them going, okay? And we're going to have free food following service, following second service, and we're going to have games, maybe a cornhole competition with prizes and all sorts of fun stuff, and our tagline is going to be make First Church part of your Labor Day weekend celebration. Don't skip church. Come and have fun with the church as we celebrate who Jesus is. On September the 8th, we're going to have a Disneyland day. I'll talk about that later, but we're going to have a Disneyland day. And we're going to talk about how the church should be a place that is intergenerational where kids and adults can come and have fun together. On September the 15th, we're going to do an antique or a classic car show in one of our parking lots. If you have an antique car or classic car, bring it that day. All of our kids, we're planning on getting them little Hot Wheels cars. And we're going to talk about how we're supposed to take the gospel on the road. And so invite people. There may be some dad or father that you know who's never stepped foot in the church but loves antique cars. Invite them to come on that day. That might get them here, you know. Invite them to come and see this should be a fun day and then the very last sermon in this series September the 22nd we're going to have what we're calling our first church carnival and we're going to put on a carnival everything's going to be on us and we want you to invite those who are excluded those who are on the outside to come and realize that the church can be fun and that the church is for everyone that the church is for them And we're planning on having rides and games and outdoor concert venue. We're going to have all sorts of fun stuff and free food again. And we want for this day to be as big of a day as Easter or Christmas is. As we tell people about the party that is the resurrection of Jesus. And guys, I can't wait. And I know some people will look at all that and they will say, just a gimmick, just a gimmick to try to get people to come to church. You can call it whatever you want to. I call it obedience. Because Jesus says, when you throw a party, invite everyone who will come to come. And that's what we're going to do. We think these are front door opportunities where we can invite people to come and see who our church is, but they're more than just front door opportunities to come see our church. They're also living room opportunities because you guys know when you invite somebody, sometimes guests, they just want to come, send the service, and leave. This way, they get to mingle with some of our people and get to see us at our best. Guys, we want this to be a great time for our church, but we also want it to have a huge impact on the people around us. Now, it's going to take some work, and we need your help. And so this afternoon... You're going to get an email. If you're on our email list, you're going to get an email with a link to sign up to help volunteer. We need a lot of help, a lot of volunteers. What we're asking is for you to pick up a towel. We're going to need you to invite people. 
but we're going to need your help volunteering as well. So this will be the first of many announcements and emails that you'll get about this. We'll give you more details as we get a little bit closer, though it'll be here before you know it. But check your email this afternoon, and if you can help in any way, we ask that you do so. This past week, I was here in our building one evening, and there was a group that was meeting here having a ball practice, and I recognized, I knew one of the parents over here. Actually, it was a grandparent who was here with his grandson who had ball practice. So I talked to him for a few minutes, and he said, hey, Chad, would you show me around your all's building? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I can show you around our campus here, North Garnett. So I took him around our building, showed him the classrooms, the early childhood area, the you know, children's area, student area, showed him our auditorium in here. And he was pretty impressed with our facility here. And when we got finished with the little nickel tour I gave him, I looked at him and he said, man, you guys have a phenomenal facility here. I said, yeah, we do. And then he said this, he said, what a great church. And I knew what he meant. What a great, what a magnificent building. That's what he meant. And I looked at him, I said, if you think our building's great, just wait till you meet our people. And he looked at me kind of funny and I said, if you come here on any given Sunday, you're going to see people who are busy throughout the week because they've got three or four kids and they're running them around to ball practices and clubs and different things going on. And yet they come here on a Sunday and they volunteer in our children's program to watch other people's kids. If you come here on any given Sunday, you're going to see guys who own their own businesses who pay people to open the door for them. And yet they're out here at one of our doors opening the door for somebody else. You're going to see people who don't have a whole lot, but yet who are willing to go out and serve at a food bank or in downtown Tulsa or wherever in order to help people and show people the love of Jesus. You're going to see life groups that go on mission trips and go out and help those who are in the nursing home or spend time with them. You're going to see our care ministry in action. You're going to see a group of people who love like Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, are you inviting me to come to your church? And I was like... If you're impressed with our building, just wait till you see our people. Guys, we're here not just to exist. We're here to change the world. I believe First Church is here for a reason. God wants to use us to do great things. I believe God wants to use us to do greater things than he ever has in our past, and we have a phenomenal history and heritage, but I think God wants to use us to reach northeast Oklahoma in a way like we've never been used before. I tell our elders, I tell our staff all the time, I believe with all of my heart that the greatest days of First Church are ahead, and I think Satan is shaking Because First Church exists, but in order for us to make the impact that God knows we can make, we got to be willing to pick up a towel. So you may look at what we're going to do this fall and say it's a gimmick or whatever, but I just look to the words of Jesus, Luke 14, 23. Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Guys, this fall, let's show all of Northeast Oklahoma that they have a purpose, that they are loved, and let's invite all of Northeast Oklahoma to the party that God is throwing. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this time that we've had to open up your word and to look at your son's example. He did not come 
to be served, but to serve. May we follow that example. God, we hear what your word is saying. You are calling us to partner with your son. May we not see the church as just a club or clique or tradition, but may we see it as a partnership to carry out the greatest mission, the greatest work of all time, rescuing the world from sin to the grace of Jesus. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the love that you have shown us. I thank you for giving us these great opportunities. May we pick up a towel and serve you faithfully. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.